It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Are you enjoying the Single Tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small but dedicated Single Tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures. Through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos, and daily news and reviews on the website. So consider becoming a monthly, annual, or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad free browsing on the website, free single track stickers in the mail, and discounts on merch for as little as $3 per month. Go to singletracks.com slash support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission. That's singletracks.com slash support. Thank you and happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Rab Wardell. So Rab is a mountain bike athlete and coach living in Glasgow, Scotland. He recently set the fastest known time on the West Highland Way, uh, which is a 96 mile off-road route connecting, uh, I'm not going to say it right, Milganeve, Milligeve, <laughs> and Fort William. Um, what is it? Correct me, Rob. We're really, yeah, we've, we've definitely Scottished you here. It's actually pronounced Mulgai. Mulgai. It looks nothing like that. I'm going to have to put that nothing in, the, like that. in the show notes. Scottish people get that one wrong all the time. <laughs> if you've never, it's one of those, uh, yeah, it's one that will always catch you out. Nobody nobody can figure out how to say that from reading that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Right Mulgai. Okay, good. I don't feel as bad. Well, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So tell us a bit about your background. How did you get into cycling? I, I've ridden a bike since I, was a, since I was a child, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't classify myself as a cyclist um, until I was a teenager, probably. So I, I, I got into cycling through mountain biking. Um, my family, we were on a family holiday in, in the Highlands, in a place called Aviemore, and we hired, hired uh, bikes and went for an explore in the forest. Um, just uh, just north of Aviemore, and that was I would say that was the first ride I ever did. Um, I wasn't instantly hooked. My my older brother da- my older brother David actually um, was the was the really passionate one of us um, when we were teenagers, and he yeah he bought a bought a mountain bike from a, a local bike shop, um, mm-hmm. which had a, a great cycling club. Um, associated to it, a great mountain bike cycling club, so it's uh, Sandy Wallace Cycles. It's a you know fairly well known club uh, in Scotland for sure. And he basically just just was uh, immersed in, in mountain biking to start with, and, and really got into it in a big way. And you know started racing the Scottish mountain bike series, and mm. e- even raced the the British series as well. Uh, the following year. Um, I, I kind of followed him into it and started riding and we would go away as a family and um, you know the whole family would go away and we'd, we'd ride ride in you know Scottish and British mountain bike series races and mm-hmm. you know the club we'd ride like twice a week with the club and you know every evening after school would be kind of riding riding the streets and you know I, I, didn't, I grew up in a small town mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily in the mountains so we used to ride kind of straight and Right down steps and all kinds of you know, daft stuff. You know, right. um, 
a big big kind of fan of trials, cycling, your trials riding. Um, so when we were when we were teenagers, you know, Martin Ashton and Martin Hawes were two big names who appeared in in MBUK a lot of the time. Hans Ray as well, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Leach, and these guys were were riding. So we would ride kind of ride our cross country bikes like trials bikes when we couldn't ride in the forests or or in the hills. And then when we could, we would, you know, generally be riding with a club and traveling around Scotland to the different riding spots. Yeah, cool. Well, you've competed in a number of different cycling race formats. What makes this, you know, fastest known time, people call it the FKT, what makes that different from other types of races? I think um, I think one of the draws is the fact that you can, you can set your own challenge. Um, you don't have... You know, if you're if you're competing in other other events or race formats, you have to you have to go to the race. Um, you you need to have a race organised. You need to have people to compete against. Whereas with a you know an FKT, you can effectively just you could you could even make up your own route and just see see how you're gonna how you're gonna go. And it's um you're really just competing against yourself more than anything and trying to conquer the the trail. Mm-hmm. So. I think that that's what really drew me to it this year was you know it's been a challenging year um in, in the UK pretty much every mountain bike event and, and most cycling events were were cancelled or postponed due to due to covid um and yeah it it was a, a, a kind of I guess it was an outlet for me to to kind of set a set a goal set a challenge and and try and um try and complete that and uh, you know, basically try and better myself and just, uh, see what I was capable of this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it like lower pressure too, in some ways, like, you know, you, cause you kind of set like when you're ready to do it, you don't have to like optimize your training for like this specific date. You can kind of just wait and be like, okay, I'm ready now. I'm going to do it. And, and there's not people there to like see you, you know, kind of on your own and, and heck, if you don't, if you don't set the FKT, maybe you don't even tell anybody, right? You wait until you, until you do break it. So, so is there like less pressure in that situation or are there like different kinds of pressures that you face? Well, in, in theory, all, all the points you make are, are valid, but <laughs> in my case, I opened my big mouth and uh, decided <laughs> to make a film, make a film about it. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was uh, working with uh, Wahoo and Santa Cruz bikes um, and a few other a few other partners. We we decided to document the the attempt and the ride, um, which added so much pressure, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so much unnecessary pressure, you know. Um, but it was it was fantastic to be you know to be making a document and the the ride and the film and it was uh, the film was really more about mountain biking the West Island way rather than me going for an FKT. But I think in theory, yes, um, being able to you know, just set a set a route and um, have an attempt when when you feel good and have your you know when when the conditions are good. Yeah, weather. I think that's that. I think that's really as a you know a draw for for doing an FKT or doing or just setting a your own time on a particular trail. But in this mm-hmm. instance, we did have to set a date. We did have to, you know, I had to um, target my training towards it. And the, a lot of the, the pressure that you would, you would uh, associate with a, uh, a typical race was, was there for sure. Um, it felt, it felt 
really high pressure going into it. Actually, I was uh, really really stressed out, but um, thankfully was able to do the job. Yeah. Well, I guess too a big difference is that you don't you don't see the people that you're racing against, right? I mean, I guess you have the clock, and so is that kind of what you're paying attention to the whole time? Is like you know the time that you need to hit along the way and that's kind of where you're competing against the clock versus against you know other people in the field yeah so i mean you, you don't have to react to other riders or other racers and it um i guess it's not really about winning and losing in that kind of in that in that kind of way but um i was aware of what what schedule i needed to stick to mm-hmm. if you like and um my schedule changed with you know, with only a few weeks before I planned to go for my attempt when the, the record was broken. Right. You know, it was, it was broken about six weeks before a record that had stood for four and a half years was broken <laughs> just before I decided to, to make, or, or I was planning to make my attempt. So it was a, a guy called Gary McDonald who's from Fort William. Um, he's a really great all-round uh, cyclist. Did you have any idea that he was going to attempt it? Yeah, I had heard that he was planning it. I didn't know that he was going to do it at that time, but I think um, you know you've seen that, you know, or it has been seen that in the the kind of FKT um, attempts and records have just been. There's been so many this year because of the events being cancelled due to due to coronavirus and COVID, and so it, it create you know it's it's. It kind of blessed a lot of people with a bit of time to be able to actually target something different. I think a lot of riders normally wouldn't do something like this because it maybe conflicts with their race season or or what they had planned, what they would normally be doing. So when you've got a you know we we'd come out of we had we had quite tight restrictions um, you know with our, our lockdown earlier in the year and then around about. I think it must have been around about June that the, the restrictions started to ease and you had a lot of fit people and who are motivated to try and do something. And I think that's why you know what what really you kind of I guess motivated Gary to set his time is is the same motivation that I had really. I was I was feeling fit and I was feeling fitter than I had been for a number of years and uh, you know this opportunity was there. So it was it was uh, yeah, that's I think that's why he, he went for it then. Yeah. Well, why did you set your sights on the West Highland Way in particular for your FKT attempt? What's what is it about that route that's special to you, or, or why do you why do you enjoy it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've I've walked and, and ridden on the West Highland Way a number of times over the last well maybe twelve or thirteen years. So I walked it um, over six days. 2007 I think it was hmm. and when when I was walking I, I just couldn't believe how I, what a great journey it was um you know to go from this the, the big city to to the outdoor capital of the UK and you know Fort William and Loch Arbor to kind of travel into the highlands and the mountains just get big you know we've only got little mountains but they get bigger and bigger as we as as you make your way north um and I just thought this would be a fantastic bike ride and you know a few years later, I came back to mountain bike it, and I, I I didn't know anyone who had ridden the the whole way when I did when I did that, and that was in two thousand and I think it was two thousand and eleven that I did that, and yeah, I, I, I kind of I just rode it to to see if I could, um, and I did it once more after that, um, and it was just it's just a 
a fantastic route. You know, it's it's um, it's iconic. You know, it's it's really well known um, for you know really well known by walkers and and cyclists, not just in Scotland and the UK, but from you know the world over. Um, and it's one of it's one of those challenges. I think I, I really like as a as a mountain biker when somebody. I don't when somebody finds out that you've mountain biked from Mulgai to Fort William on the West Island Way that you know most walkers are in disbelief. Or when you <laughs> when you meet people when you meet people on the route, they're you know you, you have a bit of chat and they say, "Oh, so where where are you off to?" And you go, well, "I'm going to I'm going to Fort William." And they're like, "Oh, where did you start?" And you go, "Started in Mulgai." And they just you know they can kind of can't get their head around it. Um, so it's, it's, people seem to like that, and yeah, that's I think that's what draws me to it is. Um, is a fantastic adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's crazy to think too, that, you know, it, it took you almost a week to walk it and then to be able to, yeah. to bike it all in one go. That's, that's pretty exciting and, and impressive. So how, how long did you prepare for this attempt and what did your preparation look like? Um, the, I mean, I, I guess there's two answers to this question a little bit. Cause I, I mean, I ride all the time. I've, I've, I've been riding, um, you know, even when I'm not training for something, I ride my bike. So I'm, I think I've got a, a reasonable level of fitness kind of year round, and have done for the you know for most of the most of my adult life. But my 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 real preparation, I would say, I think once when we when we had our lockdown in the UK, um, which I think would have been around about March, I'd, I'd been training quite well through the winter. Um, just just. I'd been racing on the velodrome and I'd been I'd been riding fairly consistently and I just got a, a kind of pain cave set up in our new house um, and you know I'd been I'd been starting to get a bit fitter and then we had lockdown um, and my girlfriend and I my, my girlfriend's name's Katie Archibald she's a professional track cyclist mm. um, so she was training in towards Tokyo Olympics um, which was was yet to be postponed um, but she but she's a full time professional athlete so. She and I just, or, or I just uh, tagged along with her, and we started tra- started training um, a lot more when we were kind of blessed with this time. So, you know, March into June, I was I was getting really fit, and then um, as we as I pitched the idea to to set a, a record attempt on the West Highland Way, and got you know secured the support from from Wahoo and um, Santa Cruz, and that really. Um, I guess I kind of leveled up my preparation and my training at that point. So that would have been maybe June into September. Um, so how long did it take me to prepare? I guess when you know, uh, your whole life all in. sounds like <laughs> yeah, pre- prepare, preparing all in was three months. But yeah, it's kind of I guess I've yeah, like you say, I've been I've kind of been doing doing this kind of stuff all for for a long time, twenty years. There we are. We, we can either there's two answers. There's either twenty years or three months. Pick whichever, pick whichever one you like. Right, right. But so, yeah. Once you did decide, like, I'm going to go for this. Like, what did that preparation look like? Was it? Um, did you change sort of your fitness routine, like what you were doing to work out, or did you also look at your bike and like, how am I going to, you know, set up my bike for this? Yeah, yeah. So initially, the the first month or so was was a lot of ro- time on a road bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just starting to get the the riding time up. So I, I did a few. I did, actually did my longest ever bike ride. Um, at that point, I did two hundred and seventy k, which is about one hundred and sixty, one hundred and sixty five miles. 
uh, road ride over, over about, I think it took me about nine hours to ride that. So it was, you know, I basically was starting to get the riding time up mm-hmm. just to know that I could actually survive your, your riding for the, the time that was aiming for it, the kind of power that I was expecting. Yeah. So a good uh, bunch of time on the road bike initially. Um, and then I transferred that to the mountain bike a little more um, and did did some some longer rides um, on, on the West Island Way, did a little bit of wrecking and uh, making sure that I felt confident, you know, Knowing where the route went and uh, and which which sections I could ride and which sections I knew that I would would have to kind of get off, mm-hmm. and also did a you know, I maintained like probably twice a week uh, like a gym session so a bit of mobility I wasn't doing any real heavy lifting at that point but it was just um, your know, regular gym training to make sure that I was you know mobile and and balanced um, and and basically healthy. And then specific sessions were done on the on the kicker indoors. Um, so interval training, um, kind of VO two max sessions, or I was doing some fasted sessions as well, so or low car- carbohydrate sessions where I would set a right at what I would call my fat max intensity, um, and just you know just really aim to be as fat adapted as possible for for doing the ride. So there was a there was a lot going on um, in terms of specific sessions i think the the key ones i would really focus on were the were the longer rides to give me the confidence to know that i could ride um the distance fast enough yeah cool well what was your bike setup like for the attempt did you i mean obviously you'd have to bring all your fuel and and hydration with you yeah what kind of bike were you riding and and what did you bring along yeah so I took most of my fuel, like most of my gels and, and food and that kind of stuff with me, but I was actually getting bottle hand-ups. Um, so the previous record times that have been set on the West Island Way have been supported in that way. So uh-huh. I kind of I I stuck to that, although a lot of a lot of FKTs are self-supported or unsupported. Yeah. And that's something that I'm, I'm keen on doing in the future. But on, on, this, attempt, on this attempt, I stuck to the stuck to the status quo and and had bottle hand ups but i had um my bike i I spent a lot of time looking into it so uh, i rode a full suspension cross-country bike um 100 mil 100 millimeters of travel on the rear and 110 millimeters of travel on the fork and it's a santa cruz blur frame um so super lightweight carbon wheels as well so kind of santa cruz reserve carbon wheels on industry nine hubs I, I ran a dropper post, which was for me was a big uh, a change from what I've previously done. Yeah. So and I, I, it was quite a long travel dropper post as well. Yeah. You know, if you look at um, cross country standards, most people run fairly short dropper posts, and I had a hundred hundred and twenty five millimeter drop. Oh. Rock shocks, reverb. Um, I had a really yeah. It was a it was a it was a seriously it was a dream bike to to ride. I had a you know, SRAM access, electric, wireless, shifting, disc brakes, rock shock suspension, and and reverb post. Yeah. And the tires, I was using something called Kushcore. Oh yeah, yeah. Good flat protection, I guess, for an attempt like that. Did you have any flats along the way? I did. Yeah, I had a I had a puncture dropping into Kinloch Leven, um, and I had a long I actually had a long way to ride um, until I could collect a spare wheel. So again, we had some mechanical support along the way as well as bottles. Again, sticking to the the status quo from previous records. So 
Um, but no, I had to ride for about uh, 6K down a really rocky um, gravel road uh, into Kinloch Leaven. And, you know, without the Kushkor, there's no way that yeah. the wheels would, would have survived. So so you just left you left it no pressure, but you had the Kushkors in. Yeah, yeah. And, and just rode it out. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I just rode the flat flat uh, tire all the way at the bottom, um, and it's it's seriously rough. Um, <laughs> the other thing with the Kushkor that that I like is that you can run lower tire pressures, and so the the feel of the tire feels a lot. It, it just feels much, it feels nicer. Mm-hmm. So you can run a bit softer tire. It kind of takes out a lot of the bumps and the I guess the trail vibration, which is really good for reducing fatigue over time. That's one of the things. So, you, I mean, you could ride. Some people might look at the West Island Way and say, "Maybe I'll ride it on a gravel bike or a hardtail cross-country bike with a seat up." And but you just get, you really get shook up and and, and almost beaten up, and yeah. it, it really adds to the fatigue. So that's why I really wanted a full suspension bike with Kushcore set up, and I, I ran quite high volume, super fast, but high volume tires as well from Continental. Yeah, it seems like the lower pressure too would would had some resistance for you but i guess i guess it was worth that trade-off yeah i don't i don't exactly know the science of this but as from what i can gather it doesn't really add any any drag you know i think i think there's been a lot of I'm not really sure with this idea of higher pressure and harder tires going faster seems to work for road bikes right but yeah yeah i mean it, it kind of does but i think people are running a lot softer tires than they used to on road bikes and they're riding a lot bigger tires now so True. you know if you you know especially if you look at something like roubaix um with with the pros like Paris roubaix they run like super soft tires real big fat real big fat tires and at crazy low pressures and and they roll they still roll pretty well um i think if you if you have really good tarmac uh like, like really good pavement and super smooth surfaces riding a hard tire can can work okay like on the velodrome as well like you, you would ride hard tires but um i don't think it make you know, if we're talking from the difference of 30 psi to you know 18 psi i think a lot of the time it's because the you know the roughness of the trail um it, it will it actually i think it's a, a lot of the time it's actually slower to go too hard hmm. and it, i think that can even translate to the road as well if you've got any rough rough sections of tarmac you'll you running you know if I think about what we used to race on when you know, in like early two thousands, you would have like you'd almost wanted your ro- your road tires to be as narrow as possible and as hard as possible, mm-hmm. and it seems to be going completely the opposite way. So people are racing on twenty eight mil tires at ninety psi, right? Bouncing around, I guess, on higher pressures, and you know you're losing traction that way. So you're gonna you're gonna lose it either way, I guess, and you might as well be comfortable for sure. Yeah, and um, yeah. I'm, I mean, like I say, I don't know the science. I, I don't have a good enough, art, a good enough uh, reason for it. But the, the main reason was for me, it felt faster and it, uh, and it felt felt better. I, I liked it. Yeah. Well, it worked. It worked. So uh, to me, that you're right. It's that's got to be right. <laughs> yeah. Always learning. Always learning. Yeah. So, what was the most challenging part for you during the ride? The most the most challenging part, without a doubt, was after after the puncture riding out of Kinloch Leaven. Hmm. There had been some other challenging parts beforehand, so the, the weather conditions weren't ideal, and I had a, a really long section of headwind, about two hours where I was riding into a headwind, um, which, which, had a, which had a big effect on the, 
on the time, you know. So mm-hmm. I'd like I say I was riding to a schedule. Um I was ahead of the schedule, which was which was reassuring. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I knew that I wasn't taking you know the you know, taking the time that I was was hoping to mm-hmm. be able to do. And my my big goal beforehand was to just, you know, I I kind of just wanted to do this once and do it really, really well and set a time, you know, set a time that I thought was like a real representation of how fast can I do this. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind. Of, I guess it was getting into my head a little bit the fact that this headwind was having an impact on my time, yeah. um, and then to to puncture. You obviously took a lot of time off again, so I was in a bit of a negative headspace riding out of uh, Kinloch. Leaving was also very, very anxious about puncturing again. You know, the the the, the it's called it's called the military road from Kinloch Leaving to Fort William, and it is big, sharp rocks. Um, it's 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 a, a double track or a or like a jeep track, a four by four track, but it's you know the rocks are pretty big. So and and you can hit some fairly high speeds on it as well so puncturing on that is is quite you know it's 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 a it's a serious possibility that that would happen Mm -hmm. yeah i was anxious about puncturing again and also dealing with the disappointment of having these mishaps and you know having a puncture and a headwind i felt kind of you know i was in a bit of a negative mindset and that and that and that translated to me you know it, it was just harder um so it was a it was a it was a big challenge um, thankfully, my you know my my support crew that I, I saw them you know just before you know before going at the final stretch to Fort William, I saw them for a like some fresh water and um, I got a bit of a, a rallying speech from my friend James McCallum. He he uh, yeah he got you know he, he got a bit excited and you know kind of encouraged me to to push to the end and that kind of pulled me back out of the the depression if you like or the kind of the negative negative headspace and I was able to to finish the job off yeah well now that you're looking back on it do you think do you think you could do it again and do it faster or, or are you past that are you like nope that was it you know because if you do it again who knows there could be more headwinds or you get two flat tires yeah I think yeah the time the time will be beaten for sure mm. whether that's but by me or not uh, i don't know i think if i if i do it again i'll do it self-supported um mm. I will, I will, you know i'll take my own spares i'll take my own food and hydration and look to set a i guess a, a not a not a more legitimate but like a i guess a self-supported fkt yeah um on on that route and uh I even think doing that, you know, taking my own spares and taking my own hydration and food, I think I can still break the nine fourteen that I, I set on on the day. I think sub nine hours is definitely possible. When I was going into the day, I was even thinking something like eight eight forty five or Whoa. you know, you know, there, there will be people who go eight and a half hours if they kind of we kind of get into people's head and they want to they want to try the the route, you know, try try and take the FKT on the West Helen Way. It's it's be it's de- it definitely is beatable, and I think with good conditions and a clean run, and you know, there's there there are better riders than me out there, I'm sure. So it's uh yeah, we'll we'll need to just wait and see what happens. But I think yeah, def- definitely under nine hours is is uh, is on for sure. Yeah. Well, another challenge you've set for yourself is best described as Munro bagging. So tell us what's a Munro and how do you bag one. So a Munro is it's a mountain 
um, a, a Scottish mountain that's three thousand feet uh, high. So, so the 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 summit is over three three thousand feet or higher. So nine hundred nine hundred and fourteen meters, and yeah. So every, every hill of that height is called a Munro, and there's a list of Munros. And a lot of people do you know, Munro biking um, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Scotland, and we'll, we'll walk and, and try and tackle them all. I'm not sure exactly how many there are. Uh, hold on. Originally, there were 283 Munros. And the, so the list has grown and shrunk over the years, so it says. So you might, you might have noticed that I'm reading this. No, uh, the current total is 282 Munros. Okay. So, yeah, some people will you know, try and collect them, if you like. So that's what Munro bagging is. It's basically what, you know, going to the next Munro, summiting it, and, and uh, you know, I guess completing the list. It's like having your, your sticker book. Um, of, of Munro's. Um, so, yeah, there's there's quite a few of them which are, are possible to do on bikes and actually fairly fairly good fun to ride. So it's it's always exciting to, to go and ride one that you've, you've never done mm-hmm. um, or revisit one that you – or re- revisit a kind of past favourite. So um, I've done a few uh, over the years. A friend of mine called Pete Scully, and he's always – pouring over his maps and looking at you know Google Earth and being like, oh, this one looks amazing. And, um, you know, I don't know anybody who's done it before. And uh, that's normally a bad sign. Right. If, you don't, if, you, if you don't know anyone who's ridden it before, it's, it probably means it's not going to be that great on a mountain bike. But, uh, yeah, we've done a couple in the past where we've we spent more time carrying our bikes than we have riding. But it's all, at least, uh, you know, taking one off the list. So yeah, favourites I would say would be um, Ben Lomond is is one. Of, I think it's the furthest south Monroe actually. It's just it's, it's on the banks of Loch Lomond, um, and it's just a fantastic bike ride. And also Ben Laws and Ben Glass, um, you can you can ride two two Monroes in the in the same loop, um, and it's actually not not too long a ride for us to do. So and my friend Stu Stu Thompson, who is actually the I'm going to get this wrong. Um, he was a production, produ- or was he a production editor or director? No, I never know. I don't know the I don't know the right titles. But uh, he was working on the film. Um, he and I rode Ben Lawrence and Ben Glass a couple of years ago in in, uh, in an evening in Scotland, and I think we were out. We were only riding for two hours, and we summited two mountains. So, oh wow! Um, you can you can get out, and I think it actually took us longer to drive there and drive home than it did to, <laughs> to actually to actually ride the route. So. Um, no, it's, it's it's really good fun. It feels like a, it feels like how mountain biking used to feel when I was a kid, and you were going on an adventure. You've never ridden this place before. You're you're kind of venturing into the unknown, and uh, yeah, it's just exciting. And and uh, it also, I think the other thing that's exciting about it is you don't actually know how much of it you're going to be able to ride. How much is it is going to be mm. too difficult to ride, or um, or if it's possible. And it's always exciting when you get one that you can you can ride almost the whole way it's a lot of fun yeah yeah it sounds like a good like physical challenge and technical challenge and then also just navigational challenge i mean a lot of these just kind of picking them off the map aside from the monroes and the west highland way obviously do you have other favorite trails or places that you've ridden uh yeah there's i mean there's so many i i I love riding new places, um, but one place uh, I always go back to 
is is again a really accessible trail um, near Stirling, um, and it's uh, there's there's a forest called Cambus Barren, um, and then there's a, a, a another section called North Third, which is a series of um, cliff tops um, above a reservoir, um, and there's three crags, um, three cl- cliff tops or three crags that you can you ride along the tops of. Um, again, it's a, originally a walking trail. I should add that in Scotland, our our land access, um, we have what's called the right to roam, um, which means that you can you can walk, ride a bike, or ride a horse anywhere, um, effectively. So you can we don't we don't have uh, we don't have any. There's no such thing as trespassing. So we can we can basically go anywhere and ride anywhere as long as you're responsible. And the hi- and the hierarchy really is that if you're on a bike and you. Um, approach a, a horse rider or a walker you must you know yield and kind of slow down and give way and that's that's fine with me I'm quite happy saying saying hello and and seeing how people are I, one uh, I'm going on another tangent here but um, years ago when I was doing my, my mountain bike leadership award Jules Fincham said your job as a mountain biker is whenever you come across a walker or a, a horse rider or somebody else in the outdoors you're, the the best job you can make is just make their day a little bit better. Hmm. So after you see them, you almost yeah. I think there can often be a, a a a bad relationship sometimes. Somebody has a bad experience with a mountain biker who's you know done you know ridden too fast or not been not been polite. Is is it's so easy to just say hello and ask how somebody is and just take a moment um, and uh, hopefully improve their day a little bit. So I I always think about that. When I'm when I'm out riding, um, try and just uh, I don't know represent mountain bikers and cyclists in a good way. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a small thing, and and a lot of us I think probably have been told that, and you know maybe we believe it or maybe we don't, but you know there have been plenty of examples here in the U.S. You know, with um, one of the recent things was at the Kingdom Trails, well-known uh, trail location, and you know apparently some of the landowners had just a handful, maybe one or two bad interactions with mountain bikers where the bikers were not courteous. And after that, based on that limited interaction, you know, they, they shut the whole thing down and said, no, no bikers. And so, yeah, you never know kind of what your, your interaction can lead to. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think it's something you need to be mindful of because uh, like I say, in Scotland, we're, we're really lucky to be able to to ride, um, ride almost anywhere, but it's you know it, it can become an issue if you if you if you take it for granted or you take it too far. You know you think you can just do anything and, and not be challenged. The your know, things will things will change or 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 have the there's always the potential for things to change. So, um, yeah, if, as long as we act responsibly and um, you know, I guess just just try and try and do what's fair. Uh, and, and be be courteous. Fingers crossed, we'll be able to <laughs> to continue with the you know the the awesome land access that we have. Yeah. Well, now I'm curious. I mean, were you able to do that during the FKT attempt? Did you were you mindful of that, or you know, because you hear of a lot of people, you know, that what do they call them, Strava holes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like we get into that mode where we're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing and I'm trying to break my time. Um, you know, I don't have time to be courteous or like that guy's in my way. I got to go around him. Like, did you run into that? Was that in your mind during the attempt? Um, no, I, 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 um, 
tried to say hi to as many people as I could. And you know, if there was if, if it was a natural if it was a natural moment where you know, we were we were passing at the same time, I would say hello, th- please, thank you. Um, you know, there was one one point where I was uh, I was going over a, a fence or what we call like a style. I don't know if you would call it that, but like a a step step over a fence. And um, there was a lady in front of me that was. You know, it's, it was quite an awkward, tricky one to walk over on quite a steep hill, and um, she was going before me, and you know, let her go before me. And you didn't yell out, "I'm in a race here. I'm trying to set the fastest." <laughs> no, it's a, it's like a, we. I have a bit of a, a joke, you know. You, even in even in races, um, you know, if you're if you're passing another rider who's in another race or another category, and I mean, you do, you give them a shout and you say "rider," but I think a, a please and a thank you always goes a long way. If, especially if they pull off the side of the trail to let you pass, you know, it's pleasing a thank you is definitely the way to go. And we always laugh about the, I don't know, the bad example of the guy, race leader coming through, or, you know, just, just being, just taking themselves a little bit, you know, a little bit too seriously, you know. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, people, some people can get a little bit too aggress- aggressive or tied up in the in the whole racing, you know. So, no, it was, um, yeah, I took a, took a moment and said hello and, yeah, tried not to put any pressure on on anyone, and you know, it's you know, I'm not saying I was perfect, but I certainly was mindful and did did what I could to to say hello and please and thank you to to as many people as a as a you know, I guess I interacted with on the trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I didn't go out of my way like I didn't have to, I didn't shout like thirty meters over to somebody who was sat having a picnic. Yeah, after you, no, after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I did, did try my best, yeah. for sure. Well, in addition to riding and competing, you're also a cycling coach. Tell us how you got into that. Um, I, I, I thought about being a cycling coach from a, a very young age. You know, um, when I when I started cycling, I was lucky to actually be a part of the, the Scottish national program, Scottish national mountain bike development team, or, or whatever it was called at the time, and and be on the receiving end of coaching from quite a young age. And when I finished school, I actually started a, a coaching um, qualification uh, in college, which I did drop out of, uh, but I dropped out of it to focus on my racing. And once I, I basically, I rode for the Scottish national team for two seasons after um, coming out of, out of school and rode um, the mountain bike world cup series um, as a, you know, a, well, as an elite, and straight in, straight in with the, straight in with the, the big boys, so to speak, um, and and rode uh, an event, a, a pretty big event for us called the Commonwealth Games. So, it's it's uh, basically it's nations like Australia, Canada, South Africa, New Zealand, England, Scotland, Wales, and a, a whole lot more um, are in are in the, the Commonwealth Games, and uh, I competed in the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in two thousand six. Um, when I came home from that, um, it became fairly clear to me that it, it wasn't going to be a sustainable career path. I, I, you know, I was unable to to turn professional as a as a pro mountain biker, which was which was a better pill to swallow um, at the time. But uh, the blessing was there was a new um, team of development coaches being employed at Scottish Cycling, so it was a, a completely new team, a really fresh development to try and. You basically develop, develop young cyclists and um, increase opportunities for young people in, to cycle in Scotland. And uh, I, I was 
I was asked to apply for a job um, and applied and interviewed for it and I was you know, thankfully thankfully secured a, a job as the West of Scotland development coach for Scottish Cycling as a, at the age of 21. So, um, yeah, pretty young going into it. Um, but, it, you know, I think if I hadn't gotten that job, I would have, I don't know where they ended up actually because I'd, I'd stopped riding my bike. I was um, quite disappointed about the fact that I wasn't able to, to become a professional um yeah. and wasn't you know it wasn't a sustainable way to live so i was uh i'd, I'd stopped racing you know i hadn't ridden my bike for you know six months maybe longer um when this opportunity came up and you know i i i guess i fell in love with the sport all over again and and got back riding and coaching as well so it was a it was yeah it was a fantastic fantastic job and um it's been really exciting to see how a lot of the, the riders that I, I worked with um, or, you know, started coaching, you know, just, just in schools or in uh, summer holiday programs, these kind of things have, have uh, stayed in the sport and, and gone on to, you know, to progress. Um, it's been, it's been quite cool to see that. And yeah, my, my coaching career has been, it's, uh, it's the, the main way that I've sustained my, my hobby and, 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 uh, my racing um so i have i have gone back to race world cups um you know i went back to competing to to ride world cups in 2012 till 2014 um and let's say i, I do still race a lot um it's uh the racing's not the, the tricky bit it's generally been the, the training it's always been the harder bit for me to to fit that in and and do that well but um it's uh yeah it's so I now I, I balance yeah coaching. I actually have my own coaching company now um, called Wardell Cycle Coaching. It's a little plug, bit of a little plug in there. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's a really nice balance that I have at the moment to to be able to coach and also ride and potentially go back racing uh, next year uh, once the hopefully once the races are back on. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the focuses of your coaching seems to be building confidence for riders of all skill levels. So are there any shortcuts to gaining confidence that you've found, or is it something that people have to sort of gain slowly over time? I think, um, I wouldn't say there were shortcuts, but um, I think one thing that I like to, I like to think is that, you know, I, I've basically made every mistake in the book over 20 years. It's, uh, you know, all, all of the common mistakes I think I've, I've been guilty of, um, and, and people are, are generally really guilty of these kind of common mistakes. If they're, if they're eager to improve or they're ambitious, it's really easy to just almost try, try too hard a lot of the time or, or, or miss some of these little, uh, the kind of the fundamental things that you can do well to, to improve. So one thing that I, I hope is that, if a, if a rider or an athlete comes to work with me, I can help them learn from my mistakes and they can learn them a lot, a lot faster. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it is, uh, I would say that if you work with a coach, you can make progress a lot more quickly than if you try and figure it out for yourself. But I wouldn't say there's a particularly a shortcut to, to gaining confidence. Um, one thing that I, I generally uh, find is just, uh, is, it's a tricky one to kind of put over, but a lot of the time, in terms of technical riding, a lot of the time slow is fast. Um, you know, actually learning how to do things smoothly is is probably the better way to do it. So, not not riding in a frantic manner, um, always aspiring to be composed when you're riding. So, 
I often say that um, the one thing that really links a lot of top performers is composure, whether or not you're looking at someone like Lewis Hamilton racing Formula One or Roger Federer playing tennis or, um, you know, I don't know, Egan Bernal riding up a, a mountain uh, in the Tour de France, you know, generally look pretty composed and the person that's winning generally makes it look really easy. And I think it's trying to put yourself in that place of, of how does it feel for that person and how does it feel for you when you're when you're riding? Does it feel frantic? Does it feel crazy? Um, a rider that I, was, you know, I worked with a few years ago, I used to work for a company called Dirt School, which is based in the Tweed Valley in Scotland, a, a real mountain bike hotspot. And one of the one of the they actually um, one of the the key parts of the business is working with Borders College, and they have a college course for mountain biking. Um, it's called Borders Academy of Sport and Excellence, um, which is based in the Tweed Valley. And Reese Wilson was a student on that course, and maybe five or six years ago now, and he is now the UCI downhill world champion, uh, elite world champion, um, which he's set in like a really, you know, it's a it was it was a I don't, I don't know if you watched the I don't know if you saw the race in in Austria this year but the conditions were insane really really deep mud mm-hmm. right yeah and most riders just crashed and and couldn't hold together a race run and Reese you know stuck down a perfect run from top to bottom yeah and and something you know it was almost like did the impossible and again if you speak to him he was saying that he had a a fairly calm race run from the outside it looked from the outside it looked crazy. But in, in, inside his helmet, it felt like composed and he knew exactly what he was doing. So yeah, I think that's really, it's really easy to do, especially when, if you're thinking about downhill mountain biking or enduro mountain biking, a lot of people think that they just have to go, you know, try not to be scared and go as fast as possible. And it's, it's almost, it's almost the opposite of what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. And it, I had never thought of it that way that instead of pursuing, you know, speed first what a lot of people could benefit from is is pursuing that composure that calm and that confidence and and seeing where where that sort of runs out i guess right like like as long as you're you're calm and composed then the speed is going to follow yeah but but trying to jump right to the speed yeah like you said you can end up frantic and kind of all over the place yeah Um, speed uh I, i say this a lot as well like speed is a byproduct Speed's not speed's not the objective. Speed's not you know anything. You you do all the right things and you go fast, um, and it's generally going to be things like slowing down at the right places, or choo- or choosing the right line, or you know making sure that your body position is right going into a corner or down a drop, or you know, actually even having the fundamentals of you know knowing how to jump or how to how to ride a drop off or you know, how how to corner for example. Um, if you can break down and uh, and learn the the fundamentals and the simple parts, you know, and then you just have to start piecing the jigsaw together. Mm-hmm. And if you if you have an idea of how it feels to ride smoothly, and and you know, you can start to you know maybe maybe get a do some timing or put a stopwatch on something or check your Strava PRs or or whatever it ends up being. It's you, know, you can start to see that progression, and and you know, maybe there are points where you should ride faster, but you can try it out and if it feels like you're going over the limit and it's starting to go feel frantic you know that you actually need to just back that off and rein it in so lots you know that's another thing i guess it's not really a shortcut to confidence but a way to to gain more confidence is to practice the right things you know 
purposeful practice, as we call it, and do it over and over and over again. There isn't really a secret. It's just repetition and just you're putting in putting in the time to to do it. You know, it's just yeah, it's just it's not what we want to hear, but no, no, that's not what we need to hear. You know, I think of it like my guitar teacher used to. You know, we used to always warm up with scales, or we would you know, every lesson you start off with scales, and you'd be like, I just want to play. Sweet, sweet child of mine, <laughs> you know, right, it's like, right. you know, I, I just want it. And it's, uh, yeah, unless you can do your scales well, you're never going to play the, the, play the guitar well or whatever. And, um, yeah, it's like, it's the same as, it's the same as fitness training. You know, it's like, you see it all over the place. Like this, you know, this one session, you know, this is the session that's going to make the difference. It's like, you're probably going to just be riding your bike a lot <laughs> you know sleep it sleeping well eating well riding your bike a lot resting well you know it's uh you know there's there's, there's plenty of papers out there to prove that that's going to be you know it's not that it's not that complicated um but the, the tricky bit is is maintaining the motivation and keeping doing it and staying consistent over a long period of time you know that's the tr- that's the tricky bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is about fitness and the struggles that people have. And you know, you mentioned your training uh, for the FKT um, involved a lot of road biking, and I know mountain bikers. You know, we hate to hear that because it's like, no, I, you know, I ride mountain bikes. I don't ride road bikes, and can't I just you know put in eight hours on the mountain bike and instead of getting on the road bike? I mean, are there what are the kind of excuses people make, the, especially the folks that you work with um, in your coaching, you know, in terms of their fitness? What are the kind of the roadblocks that they face? I think uh, one of the things is actually being able to manage the intensities. So, if, you know, it depends on what you're training for. And it also depends on your lifestyle and, and, and what it is that you're doing. So w- one thing that I do like to say is that, you, I mean, you can make improvements, even if you have limited time, even if you are kind of time crunched. But a lot of the time is is again it's it's not about forcing it it's about riding it a lot of the time it's riding at lower intensities and that that that's really tricky to do when you mountain bike because when you go mountain bike and it's it, you know the power file is going to be it's like a saw blade you know it's up and down up and down up and down so it's it's like a lot of um a lot of european mountain bike racers will do a lot of the road riding on their mountain bike or they'll do gravel road riding or, or dirt road stuff and I guess it's just making sure that you're, you know, you don't have to ride a road bike. I'm not going to say to anyone you have to ride a road <laughs> bike, but yeah. it's like put, choose your routes. You know, you put a bit of planning and thought into the route that you're going to ride. Um, and if your if your goal is to do a two hour or a one hour steady endurance ride, um, you know, kind of keeping your heart rate below seventy five percent and and really doing some good quality aerobic endurance conditioning, pick a pick a route that's going to let you do that. So you're going to have to just be, you, know, you can't have too many steep hills. You just got to, or if you've got, you need to make sure you've got the right kind of gear in if you're going to be doing steep hills and and having the discipline to hold yourself back when you're riding up the hills. Because it's really difficult to believe that, that riding slowly is going to make you faster. But it's it's tried and, it's tried and tested and proven. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big part of um, any kind of endurance training. And even riding downhill, you know, it's a four-minute event. It's, uh, it's still very much endurance you know it's uh it, you know, there's going to be a big aerobic contribution to a downhill rider I'm not saying it's all aerobic but there will be a big big contribution of that it's going to be aerobic so best way to do that is ride as much as you can nice and nice and easy keeping your 
Yeah. Keeping it steady. I mean, that's, that's huge. Like, I mean, you, you summed it up really well for me. Cause I think I had that kind of confusion about it too. You know, like two hours on a bike is two hours on a bike. But, you know, if you think about a mountain bike, right, it is like that. It's kind of that whipsaw where yeah, yeah. it's very intense for a short period and then there's a rest and then, you know, it's just kind of up and down. Whereas on a road bike, it's, it's much more steady. Yeah. And like, you know, those, those mountain bike rides where you go up and down there, you know, and, and, and you do have to ride hard. It's, they're, they're great too. You know, it's uh, it's great to do them. But if, if all your rides are like that, you're gonna, you're gonna burn out probably. Um, and again, it's like, you know, it's, it's having a, if you've got a plan and you know what, if you know where you're going and you know where you're starting from, you can make the plan to, I guess, to, to fit your goals and, 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 and try and achieve what you're looking to achieve. Um, if you just go out riding all the time, you know, you'll, it's, it's loads of fun, you know, it's, I'm good at, you know, it's great to just get out and have a blast and kind of rip up the hill, up and down the hills sometimes. But, you know, you have to, I guess there's going to be a, a bit of a give and take. You're going to have to try and, and fit in those ride, rides. One thing, uh, one of the general rules I really like for, for keeping your endurance rides right are that, uh, friend of mine, Nick Craig is a, a mountain bike Olympian. He, he rode Sydney Olympics and he's, he's, basically just known as a, a a real mountain bike legend in the uk he's it was a fantastic is, is a fantastic writer still as he's still you know i'm not gonna i'm gonna say the wrong age here but i'm sure he's i, I think he might be over 50 and he still rips elite races wow <laughs> he, te- he tears them to pieces um, and one of his things when he does his endurance rides is he just talks about nose breathing if you have to open your mouth to breathe, you're going too hard. <laughs> and it's like, it's simple, but it's effective. It's a, it's a, it's a good one to go. So if you're doing your endurance rides, see how, you know, try and see when, when do you have to open your mouth to start to pant or can you do the whole thing breathing out your nose? It's uh yeah. And you've got to keep pedaling as well. You're not allowed to just freewheel it. <laughs> right. you got to be pedaling. That's a good one. I'm going to have to try that. That's good. Yeah. Advice. Yeah. Give it a try. If you've got a heart rate monitor, keep an eye on it as well and see see what things are saying. It's okay to open your mouth every now and again, though. I don't want anybody su- don't want anybody suffocating. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a nice little trick. Well, what are your plans for twenty twenty one? Are there other FKT attempts you have your sights set on, or are you looking forward to maybe getting back to in person racing? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. What are the plans for twenty twenty one? It's so hard to plan at the moment. And the one, I think probably the biggest plan is for me to not, uh, not lose the fitness gains that I, that I got this year. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed and, and I, like I, I fell in love with training again. Um, I was really enjoying it and it was great to be working towards a goal. Um, and to have the time to actually be able to, to train for it was brilliant this year. So that is definitely top of the list is to, to maintain or even build on, on on what I've achieved this year in terms of fitness. In terms of FKTs, yeah, I think that will be decided on what events we have this year. So I, I do really want to get back to in-person racing. Um, I've got a vague, um, fairly vague goal of riding the Andalusia bike race in April in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, which were which isn't set in stone and isn't certain, but I'm hoping to to go to ride that with Mark Scott, who's a a professional mountain biker in Scotland. Um, he he's he's ridden the Enduro World Series, um, the downhill enduro racing. He's a former down, downhill World Cup racer, but he's really fallen in love with riding 
your big cross country epics, and um, he, he's done some crazy big rides this year. So I was hoping to to get out to Andalusia. It's a pairs stage race, and it's around the UCI Mountain Bike Marathon World Series. Um, six, I think it's a six day race. So potentially aiming for that. The British cross country mountain bike series dates have been announced as well. Um, so I've got them in my diary. Uh, I think I'll go back doing some cross country racing. And yeah, I think I think uh, the UCI mountain bike marathon series is is it's just been announced. Uh, the UCI announced it uh, a couple of months ago. Um, so it's a series of either, it, there's two stage races, the Cape Epic and Andalusia, and then a, a number of one-day races as well. Um, so if I can make those happen, if we can make any of those happen, that would be it. The Cape Epic is still on my bucket list. I, I rode it in 2014 and um, I had to pull out on the final day where, with uh, with health issues. Um it kind of actually got stretched out of the place, but um, it was a uh, yeah. It's one thing to I need to go back and and kind of tick that one off the bucket list. Um, so I'm not sure when, but hopefully that'll happen one day as well. Yeah, right on. Well, thank you, Rab, for taking the time to talk, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And best of luck to you next year. Thank you very much. Well, you can keep up with Rab on his website, rabwardell.com, and we'll have that link in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.